I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous salon quality, multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who have loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use the promo code writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll look at the A&E autobiography miniseries on the 2002 kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart, told by the victim herself. And we'll settle a beef over a master of beefaroni <laughs> and a few other fun games we're going to play at the beginning of the show. Joining me to dive into all of that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and patron saint of cat safety, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. I don't know if I'm patron saint of cat safety this week. I am more like a cat stalker this week, <laughs> um, but we can get to that. That shit's still going on, huh? I have um, used all of my PI skills um, to their max <laughs> to get a complete evaluation of every orange male cat within a hundred mile radius of my house. Oh my so, god! Yeah. It's like you're shopping for a used car, and you have like all of those index cards, like I made for you, Kevin, when you're looking for a used car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And finally, our favorite skeptic and lone professional soccer fan, the author behind the City Trilogy, co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, and the guy who would not tell LeBron James to stop filming if he ran into him on the New York City subway, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, somebody told LeBron James to stop filming? Yes, that was a very funny video. Uh, LeBron James rode the New York subway uh, with, earlier this week, and he was filming, and a New Yorker in very New York fashion was like, Dude, could dude. you not? Could you not? <laughs> like put his hand out and everything. He was like doing like one of those selfie videos. But he but you couldn't tell it was LeBron. I mean, other than the fact that he was seven feet tall, but he was sitting down, you know, with the hood over right. his yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Toby, quick question for you. Um, are you related to those ball brothers? Those like basketball ball brothers, like the guy who was just arrested in China and like the with the crazy. Lonzo dad? and LaBello. Yeah. And are you like the fourth ball? LeVar. Yes. 
<laughs> Just checking. Latobe. Latobias. Want to get a little of that ball money? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Unfortunately, no. Although I'll claim them. So, Laura, quickly, what's going on with your cat situation besides uh, putting together a dossier of all the available orange cats on the eastern seaboard? Well, I have two brothers that I am waiting for, but they have been sick. Um, They were strays that got picked up, and they're on antibiotics. So they won't hold a cat for you. So I am basically just stalking them, and I think they're kind of sick of hearing from me. Yeah. So hopefully they're going to be like, just give her the damn cats so she'll leave us alone. <laughs> give her these sick cats. I've got an orange male cat. And you do? yesterday, yeah, oh. and he was trying to, uh, like Olaf had kind of blocked him off from the stairs. So he's trying to get in between like the little uh, like rungs that hold the banister the up. And he's so fat, he got like stuck for a second. <laughs> 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 and he was just like looking at me and I was looking at him and I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. But he like... <laughs> Shimmied his way through, he distributed his his gut a little bit differently, and and yeah. managed to get through. Sounds like every day of your life, Kevin Flynn. I don't get stuck in the. <laughs> I don't get stuck in anything. So hopefully next week I will have an announcement for you guys. We'll see. Um, because if if I don't, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, Firefighter Ken has had just about enough of this, and he's like, if this nonsense doesn't stop soon, I'm just going to pick something up and I'm going to end it. You know who's also saying that? Like about 80% of the people in our Facebook group are like, what the fuck with the cats, people? We're talking about true crime. And, you know, it's cool that I don't want to call everybody cat ladies or cat guys. Yeah, but we aren't. We, yeah. No. We just put up with this shit. Like, yeah. God damn it, Laura Bricker. I know. Some woman in Austin was like, I've got two. If you can get down here, you can have them. I'm like, whoa. Road trip. Thank you. Oh, boy. Well, I have a couple of like kind of big show related announcements to make. One is that the naming rights for Studio C, formerly known as Square X Studio, and before that, Studio C, are once again available. So um, we had a wonderful Patreon, very generous Patreon supporter who ponied up, ponied up and wanted it to be named Square Egg Studio. Everyone knows. Yes. Yeah. And now it is now Studio C once again. So thank you, by the way, to our anonymous donor for all of the support. (laughs) But again, the uh, rights are available. And if you're interested in um, having our studio named whatever you want it to be named, Check out our Patreon page or email me at crimewriterson at gmail.com and we can work out a little something something. All right. So another huge announcement. Last week when I uploaded the audio for last week's show to our wonderful audio host, Art19, mm-hmm. I was surprised to learn that it looked like last week's show was our 100th episode. And then my wonderful husband, Kevin Flynn, reminded me that we at one point uploaded a short little piece of audio and serial season two drop that wasn't really an episode. Wait a minute. We also did an emergency breaking news one. Oh, actually, right. so, so this is the 99th, 99th episode. All right. So next week is our hundredth episode. Is it okay. really? Yeah. yeah. Can you believe wow. that shit? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. 100 episodes next week. We'll have to find some way to celebrate. I'm not going back through 99 episodes to go through some highlight reels, just so you know. That's not happening. What else are you going to do on your Thanksgiving? Um, Clip show. (laughs) So I also uh, want to do a callback to last week's show, uh, kick off the show with um, something from our mailbag. Mm -hmm. Kevin, didn't you used to read something like mailbag whenever we had a mailbag thing? I think so. Yeah, ready? Should I do one? Sure, go ahead. Love mail. That's right. We are once again bringing back the love mail. Uh, This is from 
from a listener named Fiona who wanted to, she had a little bone to pick with us over last week's episode, but this email is so great, I'm just going to read it to you. She says, first, I don't know why I love you, but I do. Really, yours is the type of podcast that would normally have me throwing my earbuds across the room, but I've gone from tentative give them a go to dedicated listener. It's you, it's your personalities, you're younger than me, you're smoother than me, more American than me. I'm British, so that's not hard to do. And yet, I like you all, I like you equally. I love your opinions on crime shows. Come to think of it, I think I discovered you after ruining another set of earbuds listening to the ridiculous Missing Maura Murray. I so want Maura to wander back and help out with the hunt for herself, because that would be justice. Uh, So then she goes on to say, this is excerpted, by the way, for time. She says... Is it? Because it doesn't sound like it is. (laughs) I discovered when I moved to the part of Pennsylvania where I live that Chef Boyardee is very, very real. Ah. His name was Hector Boyardee. He changed the spelling for his company so that America wouldn't get confused by the pronunciation. I've met his grandson who still lives in this area and is charming. He's a local hero, Chef Boyardee, mostly because he kept an entire town in employment for decades. Photo attached from a local website of Hector Boyardee leading the local tomato parade in 1978. And this listener, Fiona, attaches a real photo. Oh, my photo. goodness. It's like, it's like <laughs> the old man from the can standing up in a convertible wearing the chef's hat. That's right. It looks a little like uh, wow. Captain Kangaroo. Now, Kevin, that correction was actually Cronkite. for you because yeah, you were I was the, one the one who, made that who said that Chef Boyardee was a made-up person. As soon as she said that he did it phonetically, yeah. I, now I remember seeing the story and right. remembering that. Yeah. So, uh, Toby and Laura, for our first game this evening, um, I've got a little uh, crime oh, writers on game for us. I'm going to throw out the names of some people and some names related to famous brands. And I would like you guys to tell me which are real and which are false. So you guys want to take turns and get, do this? Laura, you go first. Okay. We'll start with Laura. Oh, God. All right. All right. Laura, real or fake? Sarah Lee. I'm going to say fake. Sarah Lee is real. She's the daughter of founder what? Charles Lubin. All right. Toby, for you, Uncle Ben. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Reasoning, Toby? Uh, I just don't believe he's real. You're right. Uncle Ben is fake. Uh, Lara, Francesco Rinaldi. <sighs> well, there is a picture on the bottles, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say all yes. These bottles. Nope, Francesco Rinaldi There's a Rinaldi's picture of Uncle fake. Ben, too. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, Oscar Mayer. Definitely yes. Yes, real, exactly. Uh, Laura Bricker, Nathan's Famous, as in Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs. I'm going to say that's a real person. It is, named after my favorite name of the evening, Nathan Handwerker, uh, which is our, my son who is like a German five student tells me basically means he does work with his hands. Um, with hot dogs. With that's hot dogs. really weird. Yes. Toby, Aunt Jemima. Uh, no. Correct. Laura, Mrs. Butterworth. Uh, fake. Correct. Oh, thank God. Toby, Mrs. Fields. Mrs. Fields. Uh, yep, Betty Lou Fields. <laughs> oh, correct. <laughs> what? Way to go. Way How to go, Tobias. No, I just made it up. But I think it's real. <laughs> it is real. It, her name is real. I don't think it's Betty Lou, though. Um, Laura Bricker, uh, Jimmy Dean. I'm going to say that's real. Real, correct. Toby Ball, Juan Valdez. Juan Valdez, that is definitely not real. <laughs> Although I'm sure somewhere in Colombia, there's, yeah, it's, there's a guy named that's Juan That's a Valdez. composite if I've ever heard one. Yes, it, correct. Uh, Laura Bricker, Betty Crocker. Um, I'm going to say fake. Correct. Nice. Toby Ball, Keebler, as in the Keebler elves. Oh, no, he's oh, definitely real. real. 
<laughs> it is, yes, named after uh, Baker Godfrey Keebler. He, he and he was an elf, <laughs> and he was an elf, and he lived in a tree. <laughs> yeah, yep. Laura Bricker. Um, finally, is his last one, Doctor Pepper. I'm gonna say fake. <laughs> Very good. good. Call. You guys started out uh, not so great, Very good, but ended up this pretty is- strong. And thus ends tough. our first game of the evening. We have another one coming up later <laughs> All right. that I think you're going to enjoy even more than this one. Um, I quickly want to touch on a little bit of true crime news from the week, and I'm going to launch a brand new segment right here on our 99th episode. Kevin, can you please read this for me? What did we learn? (laughs) So this week we're debuting a new segment called What Did We Learn? Um, This is a way we're just going to talk about the valuable lessons that we learned this week from the world of true crime and news and uh, storytelling. So I've got three news items and I'm going to come to each of you for one of these and just ask you what you learned from this news item. So, Laura, What did we learn? I'm going to start with you. Ready? Okay. Uh, Laura Bricker, uh, we heard in the news this week in that Penn State hazing case that new charges were filed against fraternity brothers because they literally erased videotaped evidence while the police were searching their frat house for evidence. Uh, what do you learn from this, Laura Bricker? So more charges are coming. You're going to be fucked anyway. So what? Now you want to add some more charges and spend some more time in jail? Like, I mean, they're in college. They're, they're smart. They should know a little better than that. But then again. Yeah. Do not erase video evidence when the police are literally in your house searching for evidence. That is what we learned this week, right? Take it from the Dassey family. I mean, look, even they had a crappy computer. and try, I mean, what have we learned here? Don't hire somebody else to delete your porn. Now, uh, Toby, um, veering near politics, but I don't think this is particularly political. I think it's more just about what we learned. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., when a story came out that he had perhaps been collaborating with WikiLeaks during the campaign, he literally tweeted out evidence that showed he did exactly what people said he was doing. Um what did you learn from that, Toby? I, I think it's not the first time he's done that, No, right? it is not. It's not the first time he's done that. So I think the question is, what did he learn? <laughs> the answer is nothing. <laughs> All right, Kevin. And from the world of fiction podcasts, one of your all-time favorite fiction podcasts and a show that I loved from way back in the, in the day, uh, the Black Tapes podcast, mm-hmm. came out with a finale episode this week that has people losing their mind because the final finale episode basically dropped every single story thread that was going on over the course of the last few years in the black tapes and tied the whole thing up with a very short, very quick, sappy, romantic ending. What did you learn from that, Kevin? Rebecca, (laughs) I learned something today. (laughs) I learned that if you're going to create a podcast (laughs) that has so many sweet echoes of the (laughs) X-Files. Don't end it the shitty way the X-Files ended. You're saying that this was a callback to the super shitty ending of one of your all-time favorite TV shows? Just like wrap it up like always. It it sounded like the end of the book Hannibal, where Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling run off together. It's like, okay. The serial killer she's been hunting for years suddenly becomes her lover. We've been saying It's like True Detective. It's like True Detective. (laughs) Can't these two just get a room? When they get get together and, and Matthew McConaughey talks about God or something. Time is a circle, Toby. It's a flat circle, Kevin. (laughs) Flat circle. (laughs) And that is what we learned. What did we learn? Oh, this is, I don't know. (laughs) 
It made me. You're making up stuff all the time. I know. I just thought it would be fun to do that. I think we we can come up with a different name, perhaps. But I think what did we learn is probably going to stick because everything else that I've randomly named in this show has also stuck. Well, we have one of these, Kevin. Can you read this for me? True crime podcast update. Big news, guys. Mm Mm-hmm. The Oxygen Network has announced that it is going to create a television series about the hit podcast, Up and Vanished. Now, longtime listeners know our thoughts about this podcast and its creator. But just for the sake of this conversation, let's put all those feelings aside and talk about what to expect from this adaptation. Host Payne Lindsay will, quote, crisscross the country looking into missing persons cases. A press release from the network puts it this way. Combining chilling stories with cinematic storytelling... No, stop. We said we were going to put it aside. With with cinematic storytelling techniques, this citizen sleuth (laughs) will scrutinize alibis and double check reports, (laughs) stopping at nothing until he finds the truth. Um, So, Kevin, do you think Up and Vanish will translate well to TV? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, was that real? Was that real that you just read? Yes. This is happening. That was really from the press release. It's happening, guys. Yes. And that's really from the press release. Yes. That was actually language from the press release. Well, it sounds like it's not going to be the Tara Grinstead case. It's going to be all sorts of new and different things, uh, you know, uh, probably along the lines of cold justice, which I think is on A&E or Lifetime, you know, which follows a pair of female police detectives who have experience in cold cases. You mean uh, actual detectives who were police yes. people? Yeah, we're putting <laughs> we're putting our prejudices aside. Um will it translate? I don't know. I guess uh, I don't I don't know. Toby sounds like he has something he wants yeah. to say. I'm just gonna let you talk, Toby. Well I just like A, it takes some big balls to think you're gonna go and just show up in some town and like solve some missing persons problem that's eluded the police. Mm. But he's going to double check reports and scrutinize alibis. He's going to double check reports, yeah. And then he's also going to, yeah. And plus, instead of just like going a straight line across the country, he's going to zigzag. Right. So there's that. (laughs) But I'm back in Arkansas. Now I'm in Utah. No, I mean, it's just like on the face of it, it's completely ridiculous. You know, if I was a cop in some town and that guy comes prancing in, like you're going to look through my files and tell me where I went wrong. I don't know how happy I would be about it. Kevin, I have to interrupt this quick conversation we're having about Up and Vanished TV adaptation to talk about some breaking news from the Payne Lindsay front. More breaking news? Yeah. What's happening? A few listeners have alerted us, and I'm sure by the the time this episode drops, it will be, have been passed around quite a bit, that um, Payne Lindsay's former career as a YouTube musician is now making waves in the true crime podcast audience sphere. And um, just before we started taping... Kevin and I saw this on Twitter and on Facebook, and we checked out one of the videos uh, that Payne had posted a while back. Now, he performed as an artist. It sounds like a band name, but I don't see any other people in the videos except for um, scantily clad women. The band name is Right Side of the Tree. So, And, and he's rapping. <laughs> well, he's right? singing-ish. No, he's singing. He, he, okay. It's sort of a style. Right. Um, but he's doing the thing where in his hands where he like, drops like, he's rapping. He's doing the... That thing, you know, yeah, the I'm boy, saying? the boy band emphatic <laughs> yeah, gesture is right. a big part of these yeah, videos. Okay, so just before we started there are taping, appropriated there are some appropriated gestures. Okay, right, right. There are some really unusual song titles. I just want to play another quick game, real quick, if we can. All right, as long as you don't play any of the music. No, um, I'm not going to play any of the music, but I do want to play a little name that tune style game called. 
Is this song title real Payne Lindsay song or not a Payne Lindsay song? <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm going to just go around Robin style. Okay, ready, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, song title, My Life is Amazing, real or fake? <laughs> well, I, I, that sounds like Payne Lindsay. It's so real, yes. real, yeah. Toby, uh, the beer pong anthem, real or fake? Absolutely real. Totally real. <laughs> uh, Laura Bricker, drunk as shit, real or fake? I'm going to go with real. Real. Kevin Flynn, want to play flip cup, real or fake? <laughs> real. <laughs> real. Toby, I'm, oh, my God. I'm, I'm so, wow. Oh, God. Toby, parentheses, your clothes, and parentheses, all over the floor, real or fake? <laughs> you know, I just hope that's real. It's real. Uh, Laura, drunk on a Tuesday, real or fake? I'm going to say fake, but it's probably real. It's real. Kevin, spring break anthem, real or fake? Fake. <laughs> uh, Toby, party animal, real Wait, or fake? You didn't tell me. Oh, no, it's real. Uh, Toby, party animal. I'm just going to blindly say it's real. I don't even care what you say. And finally, Laura Bricker, uh, party we don't want to work, real or fake? Is there any punctuation in that? No. Party we don't want to work. Dumb title. Um, I'm going to say it's real. And just finally, there's also a song title called um, Pre-Gaming, which I don't think uh, I mentioned in that list. But all those song titles are real. You can look up Right Side of the Tree on YouTube and you will see our favorite non-podcaster, Payne Lindsay, in his former iteration as a YouTube music star. Check it out. And um, Guess what? He's hashtag not a musician either. Thus ends the game. Is this Payne Lindsay wow. song real or fake? <laughs> wow. All right. So finally, Kevin. So the TV show, I guess. The TV show, yes. Um, so, Laura, I just want to say, it doesn't it seem like Oxygen with the Maura Murray show and now this deal is trying to turn into like the new investigation discovery, sort of owning the cheesy true crime space? Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of these stations are seeing there's a market for this now. And so they're, you're kind of looking at how they're going to get in the game. But um, Especially if you're drunk on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know, given the Maura Murray one, it was pretty cheesy with the dirty car and the weird driving around in the dirty car. We'll, I'll be curious to see if Payne's car is clean. I'm so glad you mentioned the dirty car. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was a crazy detail in that show that I don't think we talked about last time. That was crazy, the right? The girl's car was dirty? That girl's car. She was driving in New filthy. Hampshire in the winter. It was salt. Filthy. It was filthy I know before she... she started driving no, to New Hampshire. No. There's like a scene where they go to the ATM. And that is the dirtiest car. I'm like, who does that for a TV show? Like, you wash your car before it's going to be on TV, right? It was crazy. What were we going to say, Toby? I was just wondering if Payne Lindsay was going to be like Josie and the Pussycats or something, where there'd be a little <laughs> musical break. Where I think they're traveling in a, in a van titled Mystery Machine. Toby, do you think they should keep oh, the God. name Up and Vanished for the TV show? Yeah, I assume that part of it is like cross-promotion with this podcast, so yeah. I would. Like, I, I, I mean, it would be awesome if it turned out to be good. Like, I don't I don't really root for Failure. people to put out <laughs> crappy stuff. <laughs> so if it turns out to be really good, like, good on them, and, and I'll watch it. But I just, like, I've never met the dude. I just, just from hearing from you guys. But the, the whole premise behind it is so freaking arrogant, mm -hmm. uh, especially... You know, when your website is has those ridiculous T-shirts that he has. And the, the photo of him on the bridge looking wistfully out <laughs> over his shoulder wearing his hipster hat. Listen, to be drinking fair. his purple knee high. Listen, to be fair, it, it may just... With two guys standing on the bridge laughing at him while he's taking the photograph. We were talking about the song thing before yeah. we came on the show. And we'd already planned to talk about the TV show thing. Yeah. And I had a moment where I was like, man... Now it just feels like we're just sort of like dumping on poor Payne Damn it, you're right. I know. We said we weren't going to do that. I feel badly. But then we realized he's doing fine. <laughs> 
Oh, my God. <laughs> He's doing fine. He's rolling around in cash. I know. He doesn't care. We're, and we're super jealous. He's got podcast like you read about. Podcast, <laughs> yes. Podcast. But, you know, I have a show that I think could be better than this. What's that? Um, I, I would like to propose the show where Patrick Hines visits New Hampshire and we chronicle his reaction to things. So, like, I was at the pumpkin catapult thing last weekend and he was like oh my god following it on social media and i'm like i think that could be a fun show it'd be a lot of squeeing it would be there'd be a lot of squeeing and a lot of um amazement at our lack of diversity it would come up a lot yes (laughs) yes (laughs) all right kevin so you're gonna give up and vanish the tv show a shot you think you're gonna watch it probably not rx bar is a whole food protein (laughs) bar made with a few simple clean ingredients which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. RX Bar, is that what we're advertising now? Yeah. Yes. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients of RX Bar are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS. They're perfect for breakfast, on the go, a snack at the office, or throwing your bag for a bike ride, hike, traveling, anything you want. And whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there is an RX bar for you. Rebecca, you bring all your RX bars to work. I've got a big stock of RX bars in the bottom drawer of my desk at work. And I'll tell you, like that, like two o'clock, you had to have a salad at 11 because you got to work early kind of situation and you need something to get you all the way through to when you're going to have dinner at like 730 or whatever. Mm -hmm. RX bar hits the spot. It's got tons of protein. The ingredients are super clean. The flavors are great. I like the like slightly salty ones, like the chocolate salt, dark chocolate salt I like that one. one. I love that one. It's my favorite one. I am always on the hunt for a healthy protein bar. And I used to have some other ones that I got. And then I read the ingredients and I was like, oh, wow, these are no better than eating a candy bar. Um, <laughs> so I was really happy when I got these because the, basically these are ingredients that I would have used if I made like my own homemade protein bar. But who has that kind of time? <laughs> no not one. Me. And it would not taste like this. You know, I like the one that Rebecca was mentioning, the chocolate sea salt. Um, I also like the chocolate chip one. And, you know, they're all good. And then they have specialty flavors sometimes, too, during different times of the year. Like they had a mango one this fall that was also very tasty. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash crime and enter promo code crime Crime. at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash crime. Crime. Promo code CRIME, crime. for 25% off your first so order. So it's a two-step thing. rxbar.com slash crime and the promo code CRIME. Exactly. Just checking. What else you got, Kevin? Well, Rebecca, I want to let you know about Madison Reed. Ooh, Madison Reed. Yeah. it's uh, She's a real person. Real person. Just like Sarah Lee. <laughs> Daughter of the owner. Or Wendy's. Ooh, Wendy's. Also real person. Yes, yes, yes. But Madison Reed does not bring you juicy hamburgers. Instead, no. Madison Reed is the company that is revolutionizing the way women color their hair. That's right. Where's the beef? Right here in my hair. Yeah. And by the way, it's it's, <laughs> it's Amy Errett, who right. is the founder. Her yep. daughter is Madison Reed. Yep. She did not want her daughter to go through the things that her generation went through coloring their hair, which are suffering the slings and arrows of the home hair color and the time and expense of of the salon. Yeah, no case. Slings and arrows is the right way to describe the home hair color. It all ends up in the ceiling of our bathroom every time I try to do it. <laughs> you flip your hair. Yeah, before it, Madison Reed, which is like thick and wonderful. It's like, like that box stuff from the. It's like blood splatter from, the from a. Yeah. It's the worst. Oh, my goodness. It's the worst. Well, things are better now. Madison Reed is the ultimate hair color hack. The quality of salon color, the convenience and affordability of at-home hair color and an ammonia-free formula with ingredients you can feel good about. So experience beautiful, multi-dimensional hair color made in Italy, delivered to your door, and on your schedule for under 25 bucks. Wow. Rebecca, you're... uh 
You're looking gorgeous. Dark. You're looking dark. Yeah. No, I know. My no um, My regular hair person who used to color my hair um, is looking for a new job. She now? legit thinks I'm cheating on her with another colorist, and I'm like, no, legit, legitimately, I'm using this Madison Reed hair color. She's like, but your hair feels like when I do it because she uses you know ammonia free stuff at the salon, but it cost a fortune. Sorry, Tina, but it did. Madison Reed is like a great inexpensive way to get the same quality, gorgeous hair color that even your hairstylist won't be mad you did to yourself. Right at home. Sorry, Tina. Just a blowout today. <laughs> Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor our listeners with, I don't know they honor us. Are we worthy of We're honor? very special. All right. They say honor. We're going to use the word honor. They're going to honor Crime Writers on listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code WRITERS, Writers. plural. That's madison-reed.com and use the promo code WRITERS, Writers to get 10% off and free shipping on the first color kit. Wow. Nicely done, Kevin. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, now it's time to move on to our true crime media discussion of the week. We're going to talk about A&E's two-part series, Biography Presents Elizabeth Smart Autobiography. It's a lot of, like, biography, autobiographies there. Is that the right title? You sure? That is the right title, yes. All right. In 2000- it's from Biography. Okay. Yeah. So it's Biography Presents Elizabeth Smart Autobiography. I don't want our listeners to get confused because apparently there's also a Lifetime series coming out about the same case, right? Which is called... I am Elizabeth Smart. <laughs> exactly. And there was also a Netflix thing and there's other things, but this is the A&E version. And like like crazy, like they advertised the Lifetime one during the A&E yes, one. Yes, it was very confusing. My mind was blown. I didn't know what well, they were coming partnering or, or something. They like partnered up, I think. Well, in 2002, the 14-year-old Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped at knife point from her bedroom in Salt Lake City. She was held by a pair of self-stylized religious zealots living in the wilderness. The man, Brian Mitchell, says he took the teenager as his wife, beginning what she describes as a long cycle of rape, starvation and boredom. Nine months later, patrolmen in Utah spotted Smart wearing a disguise. After some prodding, she admitted to being the girl at the center of a national hunt. Elizabeth Smart autobiography aired this past weekend, but it's available in reruns Monday, November 20th online and on demand. And it should not be confused with this weekend's Lifetime TV movie, I'm Elizabeth Smart, in which actors play out a dramatized version of the story Smart tells in this show. It is super confusing, though, right? Yeah. It really is. All right, well, let's start with um, the unusual opening jarring shot in this documentary. I found it very jarring. I know what you're talking about. It's a close-up, lit, I want to say she walked in with this like amateur makeup. It looks very sort of naked-faced, Elizabeth Smart, Right in her face, Kevin. What do you think? This yeah, opening extreme shot close of up directly to camera. Yep. Speak and there's a lot of this. She always is speaking to camera, but this is an extreme close up, almost chin to right. top of Which the is head. Unusual and speaking very emphatically. And it was I thought it was very powerful, and I think it was a, you know a deliberate choice, obviously, and I think it worked to drag to pull you in and say, okay, I'm ready for the next. Uh, three hours for this. Yeah. Uh, Laura, do you think that um, Elizabeth Smart is effective at telling her own story in this documentary? I do. I think I was um, surprised. I know she's told it before, and I know she's been working to raise awareness for a number of years now, but the way that she's able to tell it in such a straightforward, 
matter of fact way. Um, and, and even it was a little weird inserting humor at certain times. Mm-hmm. It was it was really fascinating to hear, you know, this sort of blow by blow of what happened directly right. from her, because you don't usually hear directly from somebody that's in a situation like that. You kind of wonder and speculate and you might see pictures, but you're not going to here in that level of detail. Mm. Toby, what did you think of the style of the documentary basically being framed around Elizabeth Smart looking at the camera straight on and telling her version of her own story? Did this work for you or not? Yeah. I mean, I think for what it was, it was pretty good. I mean, she's definitely engaging. And I think and I think we saw uh, the same thing with um, Amanda Knox. They're not reading off a script, but clearly... They know what they're going to say and then are trying to look natural while they're doing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's certainly like charming, I guess, and pulls that off pretty well. My issues with it didn't really have a whole lot to do with her Mm -hmm. because I thought that part of it was pretty effective. One of the things I thought was interesting, Toby, was that they promote it this way and then it's right there at the beginning of of the show when they talk about the fact that they're going to tell this story It seems like a huge mission here underlying this entire two-part series is somehow refuting this idea that ostensibly lots of people have that Elizabeth Smart should have had more agency when she was 14 and should have run away and should have been more of a fighter and should have, you know, the first time she was approached by police done something. Because it seems like it's she says over and over and over again why she didn't do that. Do you think that people are really hung up? on her unwillingness to make an escape? And and do you think that you know, you're adding credence to that idea when they tell the documentary refuting that over and over and over again? I don't know how hung up people are. I mean, I hadn't really thought about that case in years and years and years. To the extent that people are like, there's a cop, a detective, like five feet away from you, and you couldn't just say, hey, it's me, Elizabeth Smart, will you save me? Like, I can see why people would say that. I think that underestimates people's response to trauma mm-hmm. you know i mean she's she's literally taken from her from her room in the middle of the night and then imprisoned and daily rape and it's just this insane situation with these two people who talk like they're in the bible so the idea that after having that kind of experience that you would be able to kind of deal rationally with this high pressure situation I, it just seems to me unrealistic yeah, that seems to be like the thing that a lot that people remain hung up on about the story. They're like maybe they do. I don't really. Not, know. I mean, not it's not universal, right? But the people who do like sit, like you know, will talk a little further about it. Go, oh, it's great that she's back and she's alive. But why didn't she run? Because you ask that because when you hear they moved about freely in public, right? Right. Why didn't she just like yeah grab an officer or scream? You know, I think it was good that she addressed that because a you know she realizes that that's something that people wonder it isn't whispers people have like sort of accused her of being i, I don't complicit know complicit or, or like sympathizing naive. with her kidnappers it, yeah exactly and to hear her <clears throat> explain that the terror that she felt i mean it was it, it, it it's very different if you're a 14 year old in that situation than if you're a 34 year old woman in that situation and Is it? when you're in that situation and you're fearful for your life and you don't know if like is this going to work or not? Because if the cop doesn't believe me, I'm back with these people who have said, I will kill you. I've been in your house. I will kill your family. And in the end, I think the thing that stays with me is she said about that, 
I made my escape possible. Right. Meaning I didn't do the dumb thing that would have gotten me killed in the middle of the wilderness by running away, you know, in the middle of the desert when he wanted to, you know, was going to come after me with a knife. Right. She, she bided her time and then, you know, made her made her rescue possible. I mean, this is, again, it's, it's like Dirty John. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the way that abusers control... Their victim is just a fact of, of life. Right. Yeah. It's know? not fair. It's um, not fair to ask that question. You're right. You'd like to think that in that situation you would say something, but but to me it's entirely non-surprising and would in fact probably be more surprising if she had said something. Um, and, and this is especially like she is super resilient. Mm-hmm. She comes out of that mm. and she she seems, you know, of course, it's for the it's for the TV camera and they may be putting their best face on it. But by all appearances, she's come out of that about as well as you can imagine. One of the things you study in victimology is why are certain people resilient and other people are not? At this stage in her life, she seems like the model of resiliency because it seems as though she's leading a pretty normal, happy existence. Now, I have a little inside line on this. And we did get a couple of from our Facebook group questions about what some, when someone termed her freakish resilience, mm-hmm. you know, that she says she didn't go to professional therapy and that she just continued living her life when she got back. We actually have a good friend who knows Elizabeth Smart. He's mm-hmm. not a fake friend. He's a real friend of Elizabeth Smart. He knew her Went before. Went to school before. He knew her before yeah. her kidnapping and after, and after her kidnapping. Yep. And... um. He says that is true, that she came back and that she was the same as she was when she left and that there was little concern about her health because she drove the little concern about her health because she wanted to be healthy and move forward with her life like very, very much. And Mm. I take this person at their word. Uh, You know who you are if you're listening to this show. Our good friend who gave us this piece of intel. (laughs) Uh, Laura Bricker, a question for you. Were you surprised at Elizabeth Smart's really open facing the camera candor about her rape? As I was watching that part, I was like, "Okay, she's going to stop now and they're going to go to something else. She's not going to keep talking about this. And she kept talking. And I was like, "Ooh, it was hard to listen to, but it also really gave a much better picture of what actually happened to her. Yeah. Which then also goes back to what we were just talking about. I was like, I was amazed when she said she never went to counseling and, you know, she just talked to her parents and carried on after hearing that she was raped, what, three or four times a day, every yeah. day. Yeah. I'm like, how is this even possible? I was surprised at her level of, you know, how forthright she was, you know, talking about something that has got to be obviously very hard to relive after mm-hmm. you've escaped from it and to be talking to so many people through a TV show. Doesn't it feel so timely, though, too, given everything that's happening yes. in the news right now about women coming yep. out about their experiences, that you have this young woman who was arguably in the very, very worst sexual assault situation you could possibly be in, where she had literally been kidnapped at 14 from her, the safety of her bedroom, taken to the wilderness, held by these, like, ragtag, vagabond, kind of animalistic people. And the fact that she's looking at the camera and telling you what happened, doesn't it feel, like, like really timely at the same time? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I actually thought that when I was watching it. I was like, it was because um, I'm sure that this was obviously in production in the works before all of the Me Too hashtag and everything that's been going on in the last couple of months. But it just uh, kind of 
serendipity that it came out when it did because it's something that I'm hearing something about every day it seems like right right from either friends or in the in the news or social media I mean it's something that you know is just gaining momentum in terms of more people I guess, gaining the courage to come out. Yeah, and be so frank about it. Now, one of the things I saw people commenting on our Facebook group about and also on social media about was that the Mormonism... Facebook is social media. Right? Yes, no, I know. But on our, our Facebook group, our private yeah, Facebook group, as well as public social media about... I'm ribbing you. ...around the show, is, is that the Mormonism of the smarts is very much underplayed in the show. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I'm going to tell you why I agree with that complaint Not because I think their religion is particularly unique or interesting. Obviously, there are millions of Mormons uh, in the world. But I think that their religion played a role in the victimology and the circumstances of this crime. It is not Elizabeth Smart's fault or her family's fault that she was kidnapped by this guy. But it is a unique trait of a devout religious person that they would invite a person that they don't know who's down and out on their luck to come and work on their property when a secular person might meet a born-again evangelist wearing Jesus robes on the street asking for money and say, not in a million years would I let you on my property. But it was sort of in the nature of this family to be generous, to be open, and invite this guy in, right? Are you admonishing them for no, being too kind? No, I'm saying I think it is the part of the context of this story. Yeah. yeah. And they left it out. That isn't really told. It's not explicitly yeah. told in this documentary. The other thing that's contextual, and this is the thing I wanted to ask you guys about, is Salt Lake City itself is a religious city. It is a Mormon occupied city. What's the newspaper that Elizabeth Smart's the dad's desert. brother? The Deseret. The Deseret News. That yeah. is owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that news company. Right. Well, the, as the Blue House Party guy said, it's either... It's you're either ha- Mormon or, or you're, you're counterculture, not. right? Or you're not. So this is a city now where you have a guy walking around with two women in veils, mm-hmm. you know, espousing religious beliefs and Which it, doesn't quite fit. It doesn't. It's not Mormonism and, or or Catholicism, right? Or even necessarily by the photos. He's his own brand Islam, of an evangelical. Yeah, yes, yeah. He's sort of a mishmash of all these different cultural things and religious things. But because it's a city, you can kind of like blend and get away with but it. People. I just believe kinda, yeah. that because of the religiosity of this city and of sort of the religious foundation of this city. He could walk around with these two women, and for example, the cop in the library didn't feel like he could really push and really ask, like, are you Elizabeth Smart? And and really try to see who she was. I mean, the cop talks about that level of respect of not wanting to violate religious tenets and so forth. But I don't we're even not, know if it's respect. I we're mean, not I just talking about think, somebody with, yeah. a, a, like, with a hijab on. We're not talking about somebody you with know, a veil. It's the same thing. Is it? It is the same thing. If they present that I'm wearing this veil because of my religious beliefs. You're right. You're right. You can't pull off a turban. You can't pull off a yarmulke. You can't pull off a hijab. You don't think that how religious Salt Lake City is and and, and how Mormonism pervades the city played any role in the circumstances of the same rule applies in Sacramento and San Diego and Boston. You know, Salt Lake City, it, it is the center of the Mormon faith in a way that we don't have another religion of that size that has a, a center in the United States. As the way it plays out in this particular instance, it's not a whole lot different than, I don't want to put it as as far as sort of being institutionally corrupt, but it it plays a similar uh, role as far as power within the city 
that like the Catholic Church did in Baltimore and the Keepers, mm-hmm. right? But do you think the documentary left out that context? If I were telling the story as a documentarian, I would include that context. Mormons are so often played up as odd or, or somewhat sinister in, in popular culture that I could see where the emphasis of this show is really about how she was resilient and they talk very, very little, like about as little as I can imagine you can get away with about her captors. Mm-hmm. You, you basically don't know anything about the woman That's and you right. know just a very little bit about Emmanuel. Right. And my thought was he reminded me a little bit of David Koresh in that he's able to speak in a way that is compelling to people who are very religious. And then another thing that David Koresh did, and I think Jim Jones did as well, that he does is just to speak at great, great length. Right. You know, Not Elizabeth stop starts like rolling her eyes. She's like, ah, yeah. oh, then he started going Elizabeth on again. Smart, basically, I swear to God, I thought she was going to say a couple times, like, he wouldn't shut the fuck up. That's what it looked like she was about right. to she, say. I think she like, <laughs> was throwing some shade at Like, he came back and just like, he wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> he, he seems like a guy who, if things had broken his way, would have started a cult and, you know, would have sexually abused a lot of young girls and, and had some kind of following. Right, right. I'm not, I, I disagree with your idea listen, that there's a, a greater Mormon context no, no, that was missing. No, I'm just yeah. saying, I think it's the context of the people in the story. Like, if we were writing a book about it. Yeah, no, I actually, this was something that did kind of irritate me as I was watching the show, because I'm like, okay, I sat through the first 90 minutes and I'm like, did they even mention that the family was Mormon? Did they even mention like anything about kind of the context of where they're living and sort of the culture around this? And, you know, I don't think they should have made it like a central focus. And I understand maybe they shied away from it because of what you guys were just talking about with, you know, being labeled as like, you know, kind of like the Sister Wives TV show, which has become more of like a spectacle than anything else. I I guess I was thinking of it in the context of I feel like maybe she was a little more sheltered because of this upbringing and because of how she was raised and the culture she was raised in. I don't want to say that's why she was kidnapped, but it sort of maybe came into play in terms of how she reacted when she had been kidnapped. I just want to say, like, for the record, before we get emails from a bunch of angry Mormon listeners, like... I have friends who are active Mormons and friends who are former Mormons and some who call themselves oxy-Mormons. Um, <laughs> and I have nothing but you know, positive impressions of the faith foundations of helping other people that is, is sort of at the center of the Mormon community. I disagree, and I think a lot of people disagree with some of the churches, the higher churches, philosophies around, you know, gay marriage and all that stuff. That's a different conversation. I don't want to make it sound like I think Mormon people are weird. It's not that. To me, it's just there's a con- their context, and Kevin, you talk about it on the show all the time, victimology, that I think Mormonism plays here. That I'm not saying it had to be in this documentary, but I did feel like it was missing. So speaking of The only thing place I think that it the context was probably needed the regarding alcohol? Mar- alcohol. Elizabeth Smart talks about drinking to numb the feelings while she was being raped, even though drinking is against her religion. Also, by the way, she was 14, so it was illegal anyway. But, like, yeah, she happily drank alcohol to help her numb the the feelings. I thought that was very sort of... It's uh, very, it was very interesting. Yeah. And it's a place where, to me, it felt like the Mormon, Mormon stuff was missing. Because they don't even tell the audience who might not know, like, Mormons don't drink. Mm-hmm. Mormons don't drink coffee. Mormons don't drink alcohol. Like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's missing. When So when she says that, you're like... Oh, why is she saying that? If you didn't know, you wouldn't know. I don't know. That's, maybe it's just me. Um, the other thing that's missing, as Toby mentioned, was Wanda Barzi's uh, motivation for participating in the crime. Totally missing. A lot of the stuff about how Emmanuel, the um, pseudonym for 
Brian Mitchell kind of ended up where he was. We saw some little pieces of it, but not much. One thing that I want to mention really quick is some new things in the story that I either forgot about or I don't feel like had been covered previously overly. Maybe Elizabeth Smart's book they were, but I certainly didn't know a whole lot about them. One of them was that party that the guy Emmanuel took Wanda and Elizabeth to. The Blue House Party. The counterculture party. And we see a guy who was at the party and we see a photograph of him standing next to a kidnapped Elizabeth Smart at this party. Uh, Toby, what did you think of this scene? And what did you think of that imagery of the guy who was doing the two-way, like the photograph of him being shown standing right next to kidnapped victim Elizabeth Smart? That sounds like a really messed up party. <laughs> <laughs> the fire twirlers. And the, yeah. I don't know the last time I had a party where if like a guy with a big beard and two women in veils walked in, <laughs> that people would be like, oh yeah, come on in, have a beer. <laughs> or like the, your big objection would be that he was getting loud and obnoxious. There were fire dancers uh, there, yeah, though. Yeah. Hey, if you don't straighten up, the dancing bear is going to throw you out. <laughs> yeah. I. You know, I, I, I get the feeling there was a fair amount of drugs and alcohol, all that stuff. I found that part in some ways it was kind of cool that there's this like underground in which it's sort of like this super accepting of people's, you know, let your freak flag fly. Mm-hmm. But uh at the same time, I can see like waking up the next morning and being like, man, what was the deal with the guy with the beard and the two veiled ladies? <laughs> but the snapshot, was when you so look creepy, at it now, right? it was like, oh, my God, that is so clearly her. Somebody took the photo, you know, and had it yep. and like didn't didn't notice it. Right. And then I think his reaction, you know, when they're interviewing him and he he, he like He's tried so to upset. articulate yeah. like I can't believe I felt so she was bad. there. I felt bad for him. I felt bad for Elizabeth Smart's sister who the younger, right, talks about, you know, b- watching the kidnapping and being too afraid to leave the room and tell her parents that her sister is literally being taken down the hall by kidnappers. I felt so bad for the sister. And in some ways, I felt bad for that cop who we never see. And I wonder what happened to him, the cop in the library, the homicide detective. Oh, yeah. who, ne- never saw him at all. No. And I feel I kind of feel for that. I mean, that that can't be good, right, to go through your life knowing that you were this close to rescuing Elizabeth Smart and didn't do it. Laura, what about this other story that I had never heard before about Emmanuel's plan to kidnap Elizabeth Smart's cousin and his actual attempt to kidnap Elizabeth Smart's cousin. What did you think of that part of the story? I was kind of surprised by that. I had not heard that before. Um, Up until that point, he's making all these threats like, oh, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to do this if you run away. And you're like, yeah, okay. He's just intimidating her. But when you heard that he actually tried that and actually had the planning and premeditation and uh, wherewithal to attempt that, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of put it like, well, maybe she, you know, even though people are saying, why didn't she run? Why didn't she try to get away? Well, maybe there was more to him than you realize when you hear a story like that. Yeah. Now, Kevin, um, the cops had a suspect for a long time, Richard Reese. He was in the spotlight. He was in custody. He was questioned again and again and again, even though he had a very solid alibi. And then he died (laughs) while in custody. And yet some of the cops still were fixated on him as the guy who probably had killed because they believed she was dead. I can see why. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, he looks like a really good suspect because this was a break-in. And he had been doing break-ins in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He had been to the property. He had stolen from them. He had stolen from them. I mean, you have to admit, on paper, he looks really good. Now, he did have an alibi, which was, I guess, his wife saying he was home alone with me. 
Which, yes. I mean, I guess is solid. Well, but I don't know actually how solid. I mean, you, you know, just her saying he was here. He might he not have been here. He also passed polygraph tests. He didn't... Pass the polygraph. Look, we know he only... didn't. Look, we, I, he, he didn't do it. He okay. was the only person but... that was fixated on to the detriment of their investigation. Probably. To the point where the family had to leak when they got new information from their other daughter, had to leak it basically through the FBI mm-hmm. to the media. Laura, how unusual is that, that the family sort of defies law enforcement, does back channel, and goes through some other channel to get stuff out to the media? In this case, America's Most Wanted, which we should mention, by the way, yeah, pre-social media, America's Most Wanted was how you found out about shit in this country. <laughs> in case you are too young to remember and you're looking at this weird, crazy guy, John Walsh, and you're thinking, what is going on with the show? <laughs> Everyone watched America's Most Wanted. Cops watched it. People watched it. It was out there everywhere. Segments of the America's Most Wanted would be on your local news. Like, it was a big-ass thing pre-social media. I like um, the woman said, I'm going to call America's Most Wanted. Instead like of she, calling 911. Like she already knew the number. Laura, <laughs> mm-hmm. what, what did you think of the family's decision to do that back-channel thing to get the name of Emmanuel out there and, and get a real composite sketch out there of the person they thought had taken their daughter? I was glad when they did. I was getting so frustrated when I was watching it. I was like, why can't they go public with this? This is ridiculous. I was getting so angry. I was like, you know, because you hear this this poor little girl who remembers this detail and it's like a critical detail. She remembers who it is and nobody believes her. And then, you know, not wanting to release the information. You know, I was feeling frustrated with the family as I was watching this. So when they finally, you know, and John Walsh, I was like, yeah, rock on, John Walsh. I mean, he was kind of, you know, kind of being a badass there, like defying the police. He's like out with the information. So, you know, it it makes you wonder, like, had they released this information earlier, what would have happened? Toby, what do you think of John Walsh and his persona in this show? You know, I don't have a whole lot of context because I did not watch... America's Most Wanted. You know John Walsh's backstory, though, right? Yeah, like his son was kidnapped and killed or something. His son, Adam, in 1981, was kidnapped. They found his son's head, never found his body. He was kidnapped from a department store in a mall. And it was the uh, focus of a 1983 television movie called Adam, uh, which starred Joe Beth Williams and Daniel J. Trevante from Hill Street Blues. I remember watching it as a kid. um, And John Walsh, the real-life father in that case, became a really the first real life crusader around crime. Nancy Grace probably thinks she's like John Walsh, but John <laughs> Walsh is actually sort of... Uh, he's the OG. He yeah. is the OG, it, and yeah. America's Most Wanted actually is responsible for the arrests of lots and lots of actual real-life bad guys. But he is a super intense dude, and he's very yeah. intense in this show. And I think you emailed me and described him as being like a little bit Old Testament. What did you mean by that? Well, I just, you know, at, at the end, he's like, you know, this guy, when uh, Emmanuel is, you know, going to spend the rest of his life in jail and he's like oh he's sitting around watching color tv you know is that (laughs) i'm like well what the you know you just want to like execute everybody (sighs) i don't know he came across to me without again without any context as being pretty arrogant one of those guys who if you're a cop and you're working on a case and this guy shows up you must be like oh fuck yeah because he seems to carry some weight And he's kind of, you know, he seems like he's got his own agenda and his own ideas about the way things are supposed to work. And it worked out in this case. So, you know, he he was taking it upon himself to make a big gamble with, you know, their family. Mm -hmm. But 
it just seems kind of arrogant. Well, I have mixed feelings about about the whole thing too. But for the record, America's Most Wanted did help crack this case, right, Kevin? Yeah, isn't it like when you also look at the Unabomber case? It's always like the brother. Yeah, it's like <laughs> says his wife says, "Does this sound like my crazy brother?" Yeah. Well, speaking of this, I do have one thing I want to mention, and I'm sorry if this makes me sound like a monster, guys. One of the characters in this documentary was Elizabeth Smart's poor uncle, who. Every time he was on camera talking about this case that happened 15 years ago, started to weep uncontrollably. And I actually, at one point, a documentary turned to Kevin and said, does this guy think Elizabeth's still gone and is never coming back? <laughs> and I just thought that was like a, a funny... like. I think I shouted out drinking game. Yes. Like every time you see the uncle cry, yes. you take a drink. Which, by the way, I know it makes me like a monster. It's like Pa in Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> exactly. I used to like every... I'm like, oh, Pa's going to cry again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're an interesting family. I mean, the parents were so, in their own way, stoic and reasonable doing their interviews. They talked about their marriage, talked about their family. I mean, it's almost like it should be worse for these people, and they've turned out okay. And I think that's one of the reasons why the uncle kind of stuck out to me was because he was the only one in the family who would just <laughs> weep. It's, a, it's not a cri- criticism. It. I'm a sucker. I, I I cry at stupid you things do. on TV. You cry at television commercials. You, you know, so uh, you know, I didn't go through that. But it, it, it was kind of like, I think that the producers were like, Okay, every time he cries, we're using all of those sound bites. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think the uncle was lovely. Like, really, I don't want to sound like a monster. But wait, if you haven't seen the show yet, listeners, and you watch it, you're not going to be able to unsee it now that I've mentioned it. Don't make it a drinking game. (laughs) Don't make it a drinking game. You won't make it through 45 minutes of the show for sure. Well, I kind of want your final thoughts. Why don't we each do a thumbs up, thumbs down, recommend to our listeners whether or not they check out, let me get this name right, Kevin, uh, Biography Presents Elizabeth Smart Autobiography on A&E. Laura Bricker, I'd love to hear your final thoughts and thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you recommend to our listeners that they check it out? Yeah, I'd say thumbs up. I think it was very well done for the type of story it was. She comes across, she's very credible. I liked it better um, than the Amanda Knox documentary in some ways because I found her, I could relate to her better as she was telling the story. It was really interesting to see how she has come out of this and she's so resilient, which you can clearly feel as you're watching the show. So I would say thumbs up. And she married Scott. I know. And he wore a kilt, just like my favorite show, Outlander. I was like, (laughs) all right. (laughs) What do you think, Toby? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Biography presents Elizabeth Smart autobiography on A&E. It wasn't badly done. But it is. It felt to me like it was. It was like reading like a long magazine article where she was getting her side of the story out. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about like not having the Mormon context. I, I just don't think there was any context of anything. Mm-hmm. Like it was literally. It was her story and her family story, and you brought in just enough people to kind of fill it out. But you, you don't learn about anybody else who's involved in it. So I, I kind of give it a thumbs down just because I don't like in the end, I was kind of like, it, we, I just spent three hours watching this and I don't feel as though I have any insight on anything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fair. I would have given it a thumbs down if it had not come out this week. I think I'm giving it a thumbs up because watching Elizabeth Smart tell the story, and I agree with Toby, I don't think you're getting anything else from watching this that you couldn't also get from reading the book that she wrote or from showing up at one of her talks that she gives or from, you know, listening to her on Fresh Air with Terry Gross as she was a few months ago. But the timing of this, watching this earnest, beautiful, strong woman 
talk about her rape so frankly looking at a camera feels very very timely to me in a way right now that made it work for me in a time in a way that I don't think it would have otherwise worked even like two weeks ago so I'm going to give it a thumbs up I recommend checking it out uh, if for no other reason just to sort of get a couple of the details too that um, maybe you might not remember about this case like the cousin thing like you know the whole investigative stuff Kevin what do you think Uh, I'm giving it a thumbs up because I'm not going to read the book or hear her speak live or listen to her on Fresh Air. However, I I think that uh, she was a great advocate for herself in telling her story, you know, along with all these other supporting players, which are her family and the investigators. And um, I think she frankly answered the questions that sort of linger, Mm -hmm. you know, about like, well, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? And although, as we've established, it's probably not fair to really ask that of a 14-year-old, why didn't you respond in a life or death situation the way I think you should? She explained why she did, and I think I came to understand her a lot more and appreciate her wits and her courageous nature in a way that I hadn't before. And also, despite her ordeal, her hair looks fabulous. It does. She, she must have hair. been using the shampoos from Virtue Labs. <laughs> she could have. She did have gorgeous hair. Well, Virtue Labs is a new hair care brand with a goal of giving everyone the best hair scientifically possible. It's the best. I hear Laura writing it down, just capturing that, that promo. Virtue Labs is really, it's the best thing that's happened in my shampoo wardrobe in a very long time. I love it. Yeah, you know, because it's all thanks to an incredible new protein, Alpha Carotene 60KU. It's a whole human protein that's identical to the carotene in your own hair. So that means it has the power to resurface and fill in cracks from damage uh, to change your hair's quality and appearance forever. So what does that mean? More bounce, more shine, more strength, and more life to your hair. And you can only find it in Virtue Lab's line of shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. And you'll notice the difference after your first wash. Yeah. Well, let's go to somebody right now. Becky with the good hair. Yeah. Tell us about it. My hair feels soft. It feels smooth. I love the styling cream. Love it so much. And I love the shampoo and conditioner are incredible. The styling products, the Virtual Lab styling products, so much better than what I was buying at my salon. And just nutrient-rich, like the, the hairspray smells good. It has hold, but it doesn't feel sticky. The styling cream, it's just, it's perfect. These products are, you know I'm picky about my hair. These products are perfect. And in fact, I was looking at the ad copy over your shoulder and writing it stuff down. I need to reorder again because I like can't stop using the stuff. And like I cannot wait to buy more. I really can't. Tina at the salon really fucking hates you now, right? She really does. I'm not buying anything from her anymore. You're just like, going to have to tip her well at Christmas time. <laughs> she, gets, she gets a good cut. You can't order a cut in a box for sure. Are you ready to experience it? Listeners can now try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping with the code CRIME. Crime. Visit VirtueLabs.com to place your order. It's time to start treating our hair with a little more humanity. Our listener, Javachik, on Twitter. Follow her on Twitter and check out her Virtue Labs hair. I sent her some of these products, and she's been posting about it. That's how much she loves them. It's time for Virtue. Virtue Labs. What is that? Promo code? Crime. Crime? Okay. What else you got, Kevin? Well, remember how you spoke about that wonderfully personalized book called Lost My Name? Yes. All right. Well, the creators now have a variety of personalized books available for birthdays and Christmas, and even a journey through Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Really? Willy Wonka, real or fake? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, Chef Boyardee, real, Willy Wonka, fake. Yes. And these are all the great books from Wonderbly.com. Wonderbly makes one-of-a-kind personalized products that can be made by you in minutes. 
It's made for you for your child, so the book literally doesn't exist until you press the button. These make great gifts for Christmas or baby showers, Hanukkah, birthdays, whatever. They're wonderfully written, and they're filled with hand-drawn illustrations that really make them a true keepsake. I mean, it's really high-quality illustrations. It's not illustrations. cut and paste, insert your kid's name here. It's a custom book with the kid's it's name. It's not a Microsoft mail merge. It's incredible. Where you just yeah, fit, they're yeah. beautiful. I saw the book that you ordered for your nephew. It was beautiful. Yeah, that one was called Lost My Name. Each child's adventure is based on a letter in their name, so it makes every story unique to that child. Uh, there's also the Birthday Thief book, a, a stupendously personalized birthday story that magically changes based on your child's date of birth. And the new one, My Golden Ticket Book. This is in collaboration with Roald Dahl. A new personalized book fresh from Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Huh. It actually includes its own chocolate bar. So learn more. Go to wonderbly.com. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y.com. And enter your little one's name for a full free preview of their story. And enter code CRIME at checkout to get 15% off your order. Visit wonderbly.com today. Promo code CRIME at checkout. That's what I said. Just checking. All I right. like to always check because I know Laura needs to write it down. I hear her. I hear pencil I do. scratching. I'm always, I'm always scribbling away here. Now it's time <laughs> to move on to my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime right of, of the, the week. week. When Sean Sykes was arrested on drug and firearms charges, he did not cooperate with the interrogation. Sykes exercised his right to remain silent. But deadly. Oh, no. <laughs> I know where this is going. That's right. Kansas City police ended their questioning of Sykes because of excessive flatulence on the suspect's part. When asked about the drug, Sykes leaned to one side, gave a left cheek sneak, and ripped out a loud one in response to officers' questions. He continued to answer questions with a series of loud, pungent farts which he would muster on demand. The detective finally fled the room, and Sykes was... Pardon another pun, released. (laughs) Cops eventually got their man, arresting Sykes two months later on a new set of drugs and firearms charges. Two questions remain. One, how exactly will the stenographer indicate Sykes' answers on the transcript? (laughs) And two, what precautions are being taken to protect his cellmate? So... So, panel, Mr. Sykes, like Liam Neeson, has a particular set of skills, ones that helped him get out of a sticky legal situation. If you could follow his lead and fart on demand, what situation would you fart on demand to get out of? Laura Brecker, go. I guess the only thing that comes to mind is my current obsession. If somebody, you know, gets in front of me to those cats this week that I want, I may have to employ this strategy. (laughs) Clear out the line. Clear the room so that I can be first in line. That's all I'm going to say. That's very good. Remember, you'll have to turn the other way because you don't want to, you don't care about the people behind you. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Toby Ball? Annual performance review. Uh, I got to follow on Toby Ball's lead. Um, I think farting on demand is a lot better than liaria, as uh, I used to call saying you have diarrhea to get out of work. Farting? Uh, Like, they'll just send you home. You don't have to say a word, right? Kevin Flynn, what about you? I think um, if it was like one of those cold mornings and one of us had to get up to walk the dog, I think I would use the Dutch oven technique to get you to go. I think you actually do use that technique almost every day. And we should probably end it on that note. Laura Bricker. I think we probably should. If listeners, that note, a B flat. If listeners, Laura Bricker, want to reach out to you with orange kittens that perhaps are a little closer than Austin, Texas, for you to come and retrieve, 
How can they reach you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Boff, listeners want to reach out to you and give you a good performance review for this podcast. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if listeners want to reach out to you on Twitter and perhaps... <laughs> admonish nice. you for your practice Dutch oven. How can they reach you? I'm at Chef Boyardee. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. Also, check out my other podcast, HGTV and Me. Right now, you can find out what vintage cult film Hillary from Love It or List It had a role in and whether or not Patrick Hines and his husband Steve actually think Branch Davidian Modern is an architectural style. Thank you, Kevin. You can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or just leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. If you love the show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend about it. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference. I'm going to burp. Excuse me. Oh, yeah, but fart jokes are up. Line production by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in Studio C, the closet in our basement formerly known as Square Egg Studio, before that known as Studio C, and it is definitely where we stockpile cans of Chef Boyardee mini beef ravioli. (laughs) Mm, Secret guilty pleasure there. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you. Later. Later. Bricks, we need to talk. Do you know how every time we do our audio check and I ask what you guys have had for breakfast, you say you've had like toast with that Biscoff cookie spread? Yep. Did you try it? God damn it, Laura. It's spread made out of cookies. It's so good. It is so good. Virtue Labs is a new hair care brand with a goal of giving everyone the best hair scientifically possible. Me? With an incredible new protein, Alpha Carotene 60KU. It's identical to the carotene in your own hair and has the power to resurface and fill in cracks from damage, meaning more bounce, more shine, and more life for your hair. And you can only find it in Virtue Labs' line of shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Listeners can now try Virtue at 10% off and get free shipping with the code CRIME. Visit VirtueLabs.com to place your order. Partners in Crime Media. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.